I, I didn't treat women very well at all. I, I was uh, what you would call a womanizer. And, and, and that, was, that would define me. And there was one day, it was a couple months into our relationship, I remember that, that I tried to treat her like I treated other women. And I, I saw something in her. Her continence changed. She was visibly hurt. She was angry. Uh, she is Irish. Uh, so she let me know about how, you know, she, there was something going on there. And, and typically, I would have responded to any other woman being really crass. I really would have. But something was different that day. I looked at her and I was just like, oh my gosh, what I just did just put, might have put this relationship in jeopardy. I've never felt that before. There was this conviction that what I had done was wrong. And if I don't change my ways, I might just very well lose her. And this is like the same is true. My decision, our decision to, to be married in 2003 isn't enough to sustain a marriage. Would you agree? That something, something has to change. There must be something distinct about uh, 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 our marriage. Something in our marriage that can, we, we can point to that is deeper than just a decision we made one day. The same is true, I believe, with our relationship with Jesus. How, so how do we know that somebody really is a Christian? Do we, paint, do we point back to a decision we made one day to follow Christ? Or, or is there also something that should come along with that, just evidence of our faith and our walk in Jesus today? How do you know that someone is a Christian? Is it the, is it the fish the sticker on the bumper of your car? Is it the Bible that on your desk? Is it that you don't say bad words and you come to church? Well, the problem that, with that is that there's a lot of people that don't say bad words. There's a lot of people who do that still are Christians. There are a lot of people who come to church, but are they really Christians? Jesus said that people would know that you are my disciples for your love for one another. But again, I can argue that people love one another. All kinds of people, non-Christians and Christians alike, love one another. Some would say that it was that that day I accepted Jesus and made that decision and I put my hand up at church. That sounds pretty uh, definitive, but is that all it takes is a prayer? And, and putting your hand up. Isn't being a Christian far more than a decision you made years ago? Should there be some more evidence in your life? I've said this before, if, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would it be a hung jury? Or would you be found not guilty? This is the big part of the reason why we began this new year with this new series called Walk in the Light. We're going to examine First uh, John and learn what it really means to walk in the light, to literally go deeper into our faith, that we would be uh, d- develop some spiritual disciplines in our life that, that would mark us and that, that would bring evidence about in our lives that we are truly Christians. Because there should be something more distinctive about us as Christians today something deeper. And that's exactly what John addresses in his letter. Last week, I taught you that this letter was written 50 years after Jesus lived, died, and rose to heaven and went to heaven. His readers were two or three generations removed from the historical Jesus. And many of them were beginning to question their faith. 
So, so uh, not only were they experiencing, they weren't even experiencing the fullness of life that John was con- constantly talking about, and they began to question their faith. And then they started listening to other different people in the community who were teaching false stuff. Our vision this year is this, is that the, we want the entire church to go deeper this year. We want to go deeper, closer, and wider in 2020. Deeper in our knowledge of God and his word. We want to go deeper in prayer, deeper in our dependence upon the Holy Spirit, and deeper into Christ's likeness. Really being like Jesus. We also want to go closer this year. Closer in our relationships with one another as a church. So we're calling, so we want to be strengthened as a church. We don't want to have superficial relationships here. We want to have real, meaningful relationships here in this church, and so we're calling you all to community. And if you're not in community, there's, there's three groups that are starting tonight. We would really call you to that. If, if Sunday is all you experience here, you're, you're selling yourself short. We really, uh, God has saved us from something, but to something, and it's to the family of God. And if you're able to make it, we would really encourage you to be there. We also want to reach wider this year to extend the love and truth of Christ to our neighbors, both locally and globally. And we'll do that uh, just beating the same drum. Who is your one? Who is the one that God has placed in your life supernaturally, supernaturally and strategically placed in your life that needs to know the love that Christ offers us today? The subject matter is simple and straightforward. First John is all about three things. It's about truth, it's about obedience, and it's about love. It's about right doctrine, knowing what is true. It's about right living, knowing what to do. And it's about right relationships, knowing how to love well. And these are the three things that that John really drills down to. And he takes a very interesting approach. Uh, Instead of taking them like one at a time and one after another, he's kind of cyclical in his approach. He he says something about one of them and then he he comes back and says something about another. And then he comes back and he rolls back around and he kind of emphasizes his point. and, And as if he's really literally drilling down into these three points. So let's follow John's reasoning as he takes us deeper in our understanding of what it really means to walk in the light. John, First uh, John 1, starting in chapter 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It was interesting after last week's sermon how many text messages and emails I received just expressing the enthusiasm about this series. There was this, there was this challenge that people commented on. It was like, thank you, that really touched me. Thank you that I really heard about. Thank you for wanting to take our church a little bit deeper uh, this year. I appreciate that. And uh, it was really cool. Uh, I think all of us don't want to be superficial Christians. I don't think we want to have a shallow faith. I don't think we want to be known as a church that is 10 miles wide and two inches deep. That's not the goal, not the aim here. But it was interesting how everybody had a slightly different idea of what it meant to go deeper. It, it, was, it was just interesting on their comments. I'm just like, and I started pushing back. Like, well, well, what do you think? Where, where should we go? Some people thought uh, deeper, they just want to get deeper in their knowledge of the word. And that's part of the vision this year, right? 
They want meatier sermons. I mean, we're kind of Bible-heavy preachers here and, and teachers. And, and, and so we want some meatier sermons. Just put some, put some Greek and Hebrew in there. I'm like, I ain't going there. Right? Some of you want to, to, to get more into your Bible, and so you've carved out time to study more this year. That's, that's all good stuff. For some of you, you want to, to have a greater intimacy with God and, and a fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. And to others, you just want to go deeper into your practice and spiritual disciplines. We have 201 coming up today, right? And so you've signed up for the 201 classes. You want to go deeper into your spiritual disciplines. More prayer, more reading, more quiet time, more reflection. Deeper knowledge, deeper intimacy, and deeper practice. They're all good things. But it's interesting that John doesn't start with any of these. He doesn't start with any of these. If you're following along with your bulletin that we provided for you, it, it, your sermon outline to take notes, write this down, the first thing. You got that up there? The first thing John says is, do you want to go deeper? Then stop sinning. <laughs> well, there's nothing really sexy about that, right? There's nothing really new about that. Like, there's nothing really exciting about not sinning, but this is where he starts. If you call yourself a Christian, God, or Jesus, or John tells us, then stop, start, start, your, start by going deeper by stop sinning. See, there's two general ways that we sin. That, we, that, that we're guilty of sins of commission, like doing things that we shouldn't do. And then we're also guilty of sins of omission, doing things that we, or not doing the things that we should do. And these are the two like, kind of general uh, areas where sin lies. The things that we do that we shouldn't and the things that we should do that we don't. There are sins uh, there. Um, can you imagine though, like <clears throat> that John is calling us to stop sinning. Can you imagine uh, if we had a real conviction that to, to stop sinning against one another, stop sinning against God and one another. If this was the aim in our life, if the aim and our vision for 2020 is to stop sinning against God and against one another, how would that affect us as individuals? How would that affect our walk with Jesus? How would that affect our devotion time? How would that affect the things that we, 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 we neglect, typically? How would that affect the things that we, that we should be doing but are not? How would that affect our lives physically? I mean, I'm just going to confess right now that I'm an emotional eater. And I need to get a hold of my health, otherwise it's going to affect me. Right? And so I need to, I, there's things that I need to be doing. I need to be on a diet. I need to be in the gym. I need to be doing these things. And when I don't, it's a sin of omission. I am sinning against my own body. God has gifted me this body and I need to do something about it. So pray for me. Pray for me that God will give me the strength to, and the will and the conviction to not sin this, this year and to actually do something about my physical health. How will this affect you guys in your finances? If we weren't sinning and spending beyond our means, that we were actually in a budget, that we actually were convicted to go to the Financial Peace University class to get this in order. How would this affect us as individuals? How would this affect our, 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 our marriages if we stopped sinning against one another? Wouldn't that be great? What about our families? Could you imagine if your kids say, I am not going to sin against you ever again, mom and dad. Hallelujah. <laughs> it is at the core of every problem in our families, isn't it? 
And yet, I don't care how much study you do, how much reflection you do, how much you bolster up your spiritual disciplines, how much uh, uh, meteor sermons you want, if you don't stop sinning, I would say if you didn't do any of that but you stopped sinning, your families would be a different place, wouldn't it? How would our high school students be if, there were, if the aim for all of our students was to stop sinning? Now it got real. I mean, we deal with this on a daily basis in our church. I can't imagine it on the magnitude of a high school or a college campus. The sin that has, that, that has been caused, that, that is pervasive in, our, in, in the cultures of our schools that are affecting our students. Parents, you know right now, you can look back and go, man, if that kid didn't do that, my kid wouldn't have had to deal with that. If my kid didn't make that decision, we wouldn't be here right now. And it's all rooted typically in sin, either the sin of others or the sin of, the, of self. Imagine what it would be like if we would make it our aim to stop sinning. What would it look like? What would our, our culture look like? Fundamentally, sin is the root of, of most every problem that we face. And so John says, if you want to go deeper, if you want to walk in the light, then stop sinning. He begins with his declaration in verse 5. He says, God is light and in him is, is, uh, is no darkness at all. It's important to understand the context that John is writing into to understand what he's getting at when he says walk in the light. There's nothing new about this statement. His Jewish readers would have, would have been very familiar with the fact that he, that he calls God light. Uh, light was used throughout scriptures to speak of the holiness of God. But it also would have been familiar expression to the Greek listeners in Ephesus too. Philosophers of the day used light as a metaphor for higher truth and spiritual discovery. And there were some false teachers around there that were blending these two thoughts, uh, offering people spiritual enlightenment through secret knowledge and mystical experiences. And so they were actually wanting some of the things that you guys commented on last week. I want to go deeper. I want to have an experience. I want to have knowledge. I want to have, which are good things, but they're not all that it's everything. Uh, the, the, eventually the teaching would lead to this heresy called Gnosticism and I introduced you to that last week it's the Greek word uh, that means to know and Gnosticism became a real problem in the early church as believers went off the, uh, in search of these deeper truths and experiences many came to believe that spirituality was the only thing that really mattered and what we did with our physical bodies didn't matter because they wouldn't live on they were going to die, only your spirit would live on. And so they would neglect their physical responsibilities. They reasoned that it didn't really matter what they did with their physical bodies. And so pr promiscuity, drunkenness, and gluttony, amongst other things, was just anything goes. And, and you, we might say, that, uh, and anything goes because it really doesn't affect your soul, they would say. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Now, we don't hear the word Gnosticism today, but you could see that these things still exist in the church today and in our world. That people are on a higher pursuit of, of spirituality and experiences, and, that, and yet at the same time, they're living as if they, just do, they could do whatever they want to do. And sin is pervasive. 
I read a book last year called Hipster Christianity by Brett McCracken. I recommend it. It's a very good book. It's called Hipster Christianity. And McCracken explores a movement among younger evangelicals who want to shed some of the trappings of mainstream Christianity. And so the no more bumper stickers, no more Christian t-shirts, no more mega churches or right-wing politics, right? Um, they, they want a more gritty, more relevant, more justice-oriented faith. Um, McCracken calls this this social gospel where, where people are, are kumbaya and taking care of the poor and, and, and but, but they're also at the same time meeting in nightclubs, cussing in the pulpit, uh, canceling uh, uh, services once a month to go serve the poor and to go, to go bless the city. On one hand, there's something appealing about it because what they're trying to shed, the trappings that they're trying to shed is this superficial, shallow Christianity of the past. I get it. But at the same time, there's something very disturbing about hipster faith because this new breed of Christians seem to think as long as they're doing social justice, as long as they're helping the needy and, and feeding the poor, they can do, they could like smoke weed and, and experiment sexually. It, is, it doesn't matter what you do physically. It's not really a big deal. And I think John right here in his word in this, in this particular text, he would have a problem with both shallow Christians and hipster faith. Both. Write this down in your sermon notes number two. Well, that's a cool picture of Jesus. Walking in the light is as much about what we do with our bodies as what we do with our souls. That's super important. Walking in the light is as much as what we do with our bodies as we do with our souls. If you have your health today in any form, then you have the responsibility to take care of yourself. This has been my conviction over the new year. So John tells us to walk in the light. That means that as much, uh, that means so much to his readers and he kind of turns it back on them and he reminds them that like walking in the light is just about as much as about knowledge as it is about how you live. So what you know should be de determining what you do. That God isn't just spiritual. His light is, is to, he, he's saying God is, God's light is, to, is his holiness. And if you want to go deeper and if his people want to go deeper today in their faith and their walk with Jesus, then we should pursue holiness too in all areas of our life. Look at verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, speaking of Jesus, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The phrase do not practice the truth kind of stands out to me here. Uh, we might make the mistake of, of, of thinking that truth is something that we know, something that we have to learn, something that we have to get into our head. Uh, John is telling us, though, it is something that we do. Think of it this way. You know that it is true to wear your seatbelt because it's safe, right? But if, but if you do not put your seatbelt on, it doesn't matter. So the truth about seatbelts being safe is only true when you put it on. The same thing is true about our faith. Truth is not just about knowledge. Truth is about doing truth and practicing truth. He says, you do not practice the truth. 
So if, if this is true, if, if, if we are to do truth in the same way, uh, if a person is created in the image of God, which the Bible says that, then Christians should treat every person with dignity, respect, regardless of their race, of their religion, of their class, of their sexual orientation, or their political uh, uh, affliction, uh, affliction is right, affiliation. Yeah. I think God just spoke to me right now, through me. But isn't that true? If we are made in the image and likeness of God, then everyone has, has dignity, worth, and value in this world. Isn't that true? And that we should treat people as such. But we don't today in our culture, do we? It's sad to say we don't do it even in the church. We touched on it a little bit earlier. If God is the provider of all things in our lives, then, 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 and we are called to steward it, be managers of it, then why is our finances in such dire straits in America? And why do we need Financial Peace University classes? Because we're sinners <laughs> in need of grace and correction. We need course correcting all the time. If it's true, it, if truth is truth, truth is something that we also do. We need to be good stewards, giving generously and spending wisely. Interesting, a Barna poll was taken back in 2007 comparing the behavior of so-called born-again born Christians. Basically, uh, what they were categorizing these as is people who claimed and accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior and believed that God's word, the Bible was God's word, like that it was God's spoken word. The survey said that, that they found in a 30-day period that these self-identified Christians were much as, uh, nearly as likely as anyone else to visit a pornographic website, to take someone, uh, to take take something that didn't belong to him, to physically fight and abuse someone, to use illegal drugs, to say something that isn't true, to seek revenge, and to talk badly behind someone's back. Isn't that interesting? As likely as a non-Christian, there should be something distinctive about Christians that, and I don't know how accurate this survey is today, but there's clearly a gap between belief and behavior today in the church, isn't there? And that we have the responsibility to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin and go, hey, what I believe, what, what, what is true should be lived out in my life. So much so that the Apostle John says this, he says this in chapter 2, verse 6, he says, whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way as he walked. Would our lives be characterized as, man, that person is like Jesus, in all aspects of our lives. That word walk here is used to describe a person's daily walk. John is saying that a person's daily walk should match their talk. I claim to be a Christian, I claim to be a follower of Christ, and that's what I do. To walk in darkness is opposite of walking in the light. We cannot walk in the darkness and be practicing truth at the same time. Truth is not always, uh, only something to believe, it is to be something to be lived out. So how does a Christian walk as Jesus walked? It's interesting, do you remember those? I came into, I got saved when the WWJD bracelets were like popular. You remember those? What would Jesus do? Yeah, like man, everybody was wearing them like this and they were asking that question. And I think it's a good question to ask, but I think a better question to ask is, what would Jesus do if he were me? I mean, it's too long to have be on a bracelet, but right? too much of an abbreviation. But what would Jesus do if he were me? I used to drive trucks. So what would, what, what would Jesus do if he were a truck driver? Would he obey the rules of the road? Would, would he uh, 
Would he make sure that his truck is in good working order? Would he stop when someone else is in need? Would he treat his customers with dignity or respect and not try to cheat them? What, what would Jesus do if he was in middle management? What kind of middle manager would he be? Would he, would he talk behind the boss's back? Would he uh, make unreasonable demands from the people in his department? Would he uh, cheat and pad his own expense account? What would Jesus do if he was a parent? How would life be different if he was a parent? Would he be attentive to his kids' health and their homework? Would he uh, read to them often and pray for them even more? Would he ever threaten to throw them out of the car if they didn't stop fighting in the back seat? <laughs> Did you have that mother that had eyes in the back of her head? Like we were in the station wagon and she could be driving and all of a sudden it was like all four of her boys and not even miss a beat. That was my mom. She needs Jesus. I'm going to tell her that. If Jesus were in high school, what kind of high schooler would he be? Would he treat the kids, especially the ones that are often left out of everything, with respect and love and dignity? What kind of student would he be? What kind of parties would he go to? What kind of people would he hang out? What kind of conversations would he walk away from? <clears throat> what kind of things would he engage in? Boy, this is a weekend that our junior hires don't need to be up on the mountain right now. Well, maybe they do. Think about it. You get the idea. Just think about your daily life. If, if, how would Jesus live if he were you? Write this down in your sermon notes number three. Being a Christian is more than believing what Jesus said. It is also about living, there's your word, like Jesus lived. Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. But where do we start? Look at verse 7. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John teaches us here that, there's, uh, that, that for those who say they have no sin, uh, two things result. The first is that we're self-deceived. Choosing to ignore and, 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 uh, the evidence of sin in your life or deny it, it doesn't mean that it's not there. It's there. You're deceiving yourselves. Imagine a man whose doctor tells him, hey, you're terminally ill, you have three weeks to live, and he doesn't believe it. What a fool, right? What a fool's errand if somebody says, hey, you've got cancer, and you need treatment, and there's a chance for you to live, but you go, no, I deny I don't have cancer. It would be a fool's errand to deny the truth. The second result is that the truth is not in us. You see, that's what he's saying. This refers to the truth of the gospel. To be clear, John, I believe, is actually writing to believers here. I believe he's writing to the church who is, who is, who is really questioning their faith, wondering if really God was real or not. The bottom line of verse 8 is this. A Christian who thinks they no longer are capable of sinning is self-deceived and is not living according to the truth of the gospel. The key to go deeper in the Christian life is not to deny our sin or tuck it away or sweep it under the rug. It's actually to confront it. It's actually to deal with it. It's actually to let the light shine upon us. And when we, because listen here, when we don't, we don't get to experience the grace that God wants to give us. The reconciliation that he wants us to experience. 
If you, were, if you made that decision uh, years ago to follow Christ, that decision was made out of this heartfelt desire to be connected to Christ. And there's still that same desire, that same feeling that God wants you to experience in every other relationship and every other circumstance in your life, and you're missing out on it if you're sitting there denying your sin and sweeping it under the rug. But look, because look, check out what verse 9 says. If we confess our sins, he, speaking of God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is such a vital verse for every Christian to understand. Sin is a fact of life. We can't deny it. But when we deny it or cover it up, our fellowship with God and our fellowship with others are broken. God can't deal with, how, how can you deal with people who are denying that? How can a doctor who says you have cancer and you're saying, no, I don't, how can he treat you? How can we exist? How do we coexist if we're denying the fact that we're sinners? If you want to bring some depth to your relationship with God and to others, you don't cover up or deny your sins. You deal with them. You confess them. John tells us that because God is, and we can do this uh, just confidently, right? Because God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's amazing grace. Write this down in your notes. <clears throat> A Christian can confidently confess their sins without ever being worried about being rejected by God. This is a beautiful truth that we learn from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And if God won't reject us, then you don't have a, a right to reject your neighbor. That is a huge truth. If God will not reject us, then we don't have the right to reject. I don't have the right to reject my spouse when she sins against me. She's accepted by God. I've been accepted by God. I need to accept her. And so what do we do with our sin? That's the big question. If you confess your sin, God acts. He, he forgives your sin and he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. The question is that I want you to think about is how could that be? How can, it be, how can God be both faithful and just to forgive our sins in the life of a Christian? The answer comes to us in verse 7. We've got to jump back a little bit. He says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Picture this for a moment. A mother says to her little boy, she says, listen, we're getting ready for church. I want you to put your church clothes on, but do not go outside because it rained all night and it's muddy out there. So mom goes in and she tucks away into the bathroom to do her hair and the kid sneaks out to go get some playtime in. Slips, falls in the mud. Oh man, I'm in trouble. Comes back into the house. Everybody's experiences as parents, right? Comes back into the house and says, Mommy, I'm sorry. I did it anyway. I went out there and I got into the mud. I'm so sorry. What is a righteous mother to do at that point? Forgive him. Spank him. Who said spank him? <laughs> All right. A righteous mother says, I forgive you. A righteous mother says, I forgive you. And then what's next? Does mom take kid and go, okay, well, hey, you've got to sit in your mud. Now go to church. No, a righteous mother takes those clothes off of her son, washes him up, binds up the little scrapes, puts new clothes on them, on him, and then they go to church. She doesn't send him to church with stained clothes. She cleans him up, bandages up his scrapes, and changes his clothes, and this is what God is saying to you. 
I'm going to take your guilt. I'm going to take care of the stain of sin that, 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 that sin has left on you. And when we confess our sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of this on the basis of Christ's blood. Not because you deserve it, not because you deserve a whooping, because you do. But believing that Christ was whooped enough for that. That no more punishment needs to be had for the forgiveness of you jumping in the mud, falling in the mud. That your forgiveness is not based on what you do, but what he has done on your behalf. Jesus became your exchange. All of God's wrath, all of God's punishment was poured out on Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. And that, this is how Jesus' blood cleanses us, forgives us of all sin. And this is how God becomes faithful and just because someone was punished. You're right. Sin demands punishment. Sin demands a whooping. But that whooping was transferred to Jesus. On our behalf, because God loves us, he sent us his son, Christ Jesus, to die for us as a demonstration of that love for us. But Jesus rose to new life. And he's offering us this restoration. The penalty has been paid. Our guilt has been taken away. Restoration and renewal are now to follow since God also cleanses us from all unrighteousness this side of the cross. Don't settle for half a blessing. Don't settle for the decision you made back in the day to receive Christ as for forgiveness of sin, but also want the cleansing power of the cross in your life today. Oh God, I want that. Holy Spirit, convict my heart of what's going on and what I'm doing in my life and what I'm, not, and what I'm neglecting to do in my life and cleanse me of that unrighteousness so I may walk in the light as he is in the light. I can't function uh, at all during the day if I don't take a shower in the morning. It, morning showering people in the, in the house, that's it. You guys need to go home and take a shower. <laughs> like, seriously, I'm just teasing. No condemnation, sorry. But I can't function unless I take a shower. Confession is like that. You know, sin dirties our life. And confession is like taking a warm shower. It's God's way of saying you can be cleansed of unrighteousness right now based not on what you do but based on what Jesus has done for you Isn't that good news write this down in your sermon notes Christians need not to not need not Christians need not despair this should be a two right here I am not an English major Christians need not to despair over everyday sin because God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness this is a big mega truth. That's why I put it in your bulletin. And I really want you to wrestle with that because our sins are, are it's part of our daily life. We're gonna sin daily and we need that, that cleansing shower. And he says, confession is that. Sadly, some Christians like create their own unnecessary consequences for their own sin because they take the past too lightly or they take the, the opposite extreme of doubting that God will even forgive them. They struggle with the fact of taking God at his word, what he says in 1 John 1, 9. So you live in constant defeat and constant discouragement. But Jesus says this, he says, if the, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is about right belief, the second category. This is about, or the first category, right doctrine, right truth that should lead to right living, that, that will affect every relationship in our lives. This leads us to verse 10. 
He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. It is human nature to deny and to minimize our sin, to make it less than offensive. It's natural for us not to want to face the reality of our sin. But John is saying that when we do that, in essence, we're calling God a liar and the truth is not in us. To say that the the word is not in us means that it's not taking an effect on our belief or conduct. And this is true of all of us. It's true of me. It's true of you in some season of your life. Maybe you're doing well in this area of your life, but we've done this. Write this down in your sermon notes. The last uh, one of, we're getting close. When we deny or minimize our sin, we miss out on experiencing Jesus, which is one of the greatest gifts of God's love. We miss out on experiencing God's grace. We miss out experience on his power to overcome sin. We miss on experiencing the, the power to reconcile with God and with others. Listen to how, what John says in, in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my little children. He's calling us family here now. So he's, he's really talking to Christians. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. Sin is an inevitable part of the Christian life, but Christians are saved from sin not to sin. We are saved from sin to live a holy life. However, John is a realist about it. That he knows that, that Christians are going to sin occasionally, but the aim should be not to sin. But when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Write this last one down in your notes. There are no grace graduates. And the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how spiritually mature you are or immature you are. If you're you're just an ordinary person, if you're a pastor, you have sin in your life. And there's no grace graduates. We all need grace every single day. And the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We both come to the cross level. We both have the same need. We're all going to sin, but the good news is that we have an advocate. The word advocate here not only means that for someone to come alongside of us, but also it means for someone who lends his voice in our defense. This is really good news, that God speaks up on your behalf and mine, that we have an advocate in our life, that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who speaks on behalf of God to convict us of our sin, and we also have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who sins at the right hand of God, praying to God on our behalf. Speaking to God on our behalf. The author of Hebrews says this about Jesus. Jesus always lives to make intercession for us, for you, for me. Isn't that beautiful? Again, confessing our sin to God and to other is not, uh, and to one another is not natural for us. It takes rescuing grace it, uh, to produce humility in us. It takes rescuing grace to, to, to make us be willing uh, to, to confess our sins. It takes rescuing grace to, to self-examine our lives and to agree with God about our sin. That's what confession is, agreeing with him on what is true. It takes rescuing grace to have a heart that is, is, is wanting help. Only divine grace can soften a person's heart like that. Only divine grace can break down the defenses that keep us from confessing. Only divine grace can cause you to run to your Redeemer for forgiveness and for the power to overcome your sin. 
Only divine grace can enable you to forsake your own righteousness and to find hope and rest in a righteousness from another. And only divine grace can cause you to abandon your own confidence and your own performance and place your confidence in perfectly acceptable righteousness of Jesus Christ. Only divine grace can cause you to put your hope in the place where hope can be found. And that's in Christ alone. The first question is this before we close, is have you crossed the line to become a, a believer in Jesus as your personal, have you crossed the line to come to believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you done that? That decision needs to be made. I don't want to minimize that moment uh, that you need to make that decision. That decision needs to be made. The Bible says, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before the Father. And so, and if you put your faith in him, if you believe in him, that he will be, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible says, for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Good news, right? The second question is this. If you are experiencing Christ's grace in your life this way, are you sharing your experience with others? Are you, uh, are, are you getting in, are you in community? Are you sharing your faith with others? Are you seeking to reach out to people who don't know Jesus? If not, maybe you need to get closer and reach wider. And we want to help you to do that. Get into community. These are safe places where you can come as you are. There's no grace graduates in community. There's no grace graduates in this church. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. He wants you to be more like Christ. My prayer is that we will grow deeper in our relationship with him, that we'll grow closer together with one another as we strengthen our relationships in this church and become more like Jesus, and that we would reach wider to invite more people to experience a real God who really loves people, who really can transform lives. You with me? Make that your prayer too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, that uh, you are so clear and direct in your word. I thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we need to uh, do, we need to live a certain way. We need to live what we believe. And so God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you, Lord, that, that it is your blood that makes us righteous, ultimately. And it's nothing that we can do, Lord, to earn that, to deserve that. It was all a gift of your grace. And so I'm grateful for that. If there's someone here today, this, this, this morning, in the hearing of my voice that have not crossed the line, Lord, I pray that you will touch their hearts this morning, that they will confess their faith in you. They would take that first step of faith and they would put their faith in you, Jesus. They would confess their sins. The first confession, let it be that, that they need a savior, that they are a sinner and they need a savior. Let them confess and let them call upon you for salvation. I pray for those who have experienced that, that our walks would match our talk. Holy Spirit, convict us of our sin that we may honor you and honor others in our lives. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to enter into a time of um, uh, responding now. Um, if, if you're a regular here...